Hey, welcome to Christian Combatives, the podcast version. Um, today we've got a topic that I'd like to talk about, and I titled this episode, Stop LARPing as a Christian Trad Chad. Now, if you're not familiar with the term, well, any of the terms that I use, trad, chad, based, anything like that, uh, don't worry about it. It probably doesn't apply to you. Uh, but the fact of the matter is that there, there is this kind of obnoxious online culture uh, surrounding Christianity that has nothing to do with actual Christianity, and it, and it's more uh, people just kind of playing make-believe. You see, the world works in kind of counterculture aspects. You have each generation is a counterculture of the previous generation. You'll have a particularly conservative generation, um, and that's going to be followed by a particularly, I don't know what you want to call it, progressive generation, a generation that kind of uh, rejects traditional values, Christian values, things like that. And, and a lot of people kind of get freaked out when they see this and they say, you know, oh, the world's like never going to recover or anything like that. The fact of the matter is, however, at least in the West, the pendulum tends to swing back and forth and back and forth. Now, the previous generation, um, uh, boomers and such, uh, there tend to be a lot of kind of progressive um, I don't even know if progressive is the right term, but you know what I'm talking about. Those kinds of views, uh, they, they tend to they tend to spring up a lot in, in in the boomer generation. And a counterculture to this, this is something interesting that we're observing, is that the pendulum is swinging the opposite direction. You're actually seeing a lot of people, a lot of people embracing either actual traditionalism, Christianity, things like that, traditional Western values, or the appreciation of these things as an aesthetic. So what I want to talk about today is not so much the people who actually hold kind of Christian traditionalist views. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, I would encourage it. But people who kind of see it as an aesthetic that, you know, that they that they want to that they want to that they want to put on that they want to be known by. They want to be known as you know these counterculturals. Um, think about it. I mean, if you're old enough, perhaps think about it like those who would uh, be a part of the the the, the punk generation. Um, they would, you know, you'd wear you'd wear jackets with a Ramones patch on it. And you'd have spikes, and you'd spike your hair, and you try to kind of stand out from the culture as much as possible. Now, you could be a, a, a straight A student. You could be, you know, get along well with your parents and everything like that. But the reality is that you know you'd put on all these things to 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 take on the identity of somebody who's countercultural. Well, the counterculture for this generation is traditional sort of culture, uh, Christianity, Western traditionalism. And again, there's nothing wrong with that in and of itself. But the difficulty is that many people just take on kind of the outward facade of this traditionalism and, uh, and they wear it around and they don't, really, they don't really imbibe kind of the traditionalist views. Well, it's difficult for a lot, of these, a lot of these people. This is something that I've experienced a lot is that for a lot of these people, um, their parents are atheists. Their parents are, are even anti-Christian. And, and as a result, they don't really have that much experience with Christianity. So how do they even know how to, you know, how to style their hair in a punk aspect? How do they even know how to represent Christianity and Western influence if they don't have any role models for themselves? And the answer to this is this kind of bizarre, exaggerated sort of uh, appearance uh, that I refer to as uh, trad chad or, um, or something along those lines where basically you've got you got people who say, well, it's 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 based and it's and it's awesome to be traditional, but I don't know what that looks like. So I assume it includes, you know, and then, you know, you fill in, fill in the aspects. Now, a couple of examples that I've seen of this uh, online is is <laughs> and it's kind of this um, uh, 
uh, it, it's kind of this meme of basically these guys uh, will, will go online, Amazon. I, I don't know how much it costs, probably like 50 bucks or 30 bucks or something like that. And they'll buy like a Templar helmet and, and, and they'll base their entire personality around like Templar aesthetics. So they, you'll, you'll have like a, um, a medieval sort of knight's uh, helmet, uh, bucket helmet. And then you'll have, I don't know, wh- how, whatever else they can afford for the armor. And, and they, they take these things and um, uh, and kind of base their personalities around, or they're, or they're putting these uh, these video edits, these music montages of all these these paintings of the crusade, or, or maybe depictions of, of icons or Christianity or something like that, uh, and they'll put it to uh, they'll put it to some funk music, or they'll put it to some um, uh, little Stone Age uh, edits or, or something like that, and, they, and they'll develop this kind of concept of here is this you know traditionalist masculinity uh, Giga Chad type. Uh, type idea all based around the appearance of Christianity. Now, the problem with this is that none of it is actually remotely Christian. Uh, their actual their actual identity, their actual what they do with their lives and how they live their lives has nothing to do with Christianity. Uh, so they, they, they put on, you know, they put on a cross and they put on, you know, all these, you know, vestigial, vestigial appearance, appearances and they have nothing to do with the actual faith that they're trying to represent. To them, you know, being based, red-pilled, and giga-chatted is all about the look, the appearance of being a, a, a trad-chad. And it has nothing to do with actually doing things that Christians do. Um, uh, and this is this is an issue, <laughs> not just because it misrepresents Christianity as a whole, but because it's just LARPing. It's live-action role-play. It's just people playing dress-up. There's nothing, there's nothing inherently based, uh, there's nothing inherently impressive about about any of these um, about any of these trappings, what's what's actually impressive? What you actually want to pursue is actual Christian identity. Now, uh, one example of this is kind of you know combined with this this Christianity, this Templar helmet type thing, uh, is you know working out and, and exercise and stuff like that. And there's nothing inherently wrong with seeking, for example, physical fitness. So your body is a temple to the Holy Spirit. So it's entirely appropriate that you want the thing to be gilded and chiseled. But even the most beautiful temples can be an idol when they cease to be vessels for the Holy Spirit and instead turn into a museum or a tourist attraction. There's nothing based or traditional about physical fitness if the glory doesn't go to God alone. So you can be, you know, you can you could bench 350 and you can be absolutely chiseled head to toe and wear a Templar helmet and listen to, to funk music all the time. And old Grandma Schmeckenpepper, who goes to church and, you know, couldn't lift 20 pounds without help, she's more, you know, She's more of a a, a, a a traditionalist. She's more of a a trad chad than you are. You're getting shown up by somebody's grandmother because she actually goes to church. She actually reads the Bible. She actually prays. Um, you're just kind of you're playing make believe. Is all it is. So you actually want to be kind of a Christian, a Christian uh, trad chad. Then do things that Christians do. Gather together with the with the saints. Study and read the Bible. Join communities of fellow Christians. Pray. Do these things that Christians actually do. Let it be a let it be a part of your everyday life. You see Christianity is not just an aesthetic. It's not just wearing crosses. I mean Madonna wore crosses and there was a decoration for her. Um, it's not just it's not just something that you that you visibly put on, but it's something that that intertwines every aspect of your life. If you're a Christian, you're a Christian in all aspects of your life. Um, even for those who aren't trying to kind of put on these trappings, uh, it's the same sort of thing when 
when for them, Christianity is just kind of going to church once a week. They go to church once a week because that's what's expected of them. Visibly, outwardly, they try to represent their Christianity by, by in attendance to you know, an actual Christian institution. But the other six days of the week, there's nothing about them that's inherently Christian. They don't read the Bible. They don't pray. They don't, they don't study God's Word. They don't interact with other Christians. They don't let Christian morality dictate how they live their lives. Um, whether this is, you know, whether this is something like uh, adultery or or um, or the the use of their language, uh, it there's nothing about it that's that's Christian. It's just for them again. Christianity is just the one hour a week that you go to church. It's the same sort of problem, um, but kind of wrapped up in a different aspect. Now, one of the things in particular that uh, that brought this on, that brought this topic on, that that made it so I wanted to actually talk about this was, unfortunately, I use the internet, which one should never do, and I, I went to this website called facebook.com, which, again, one should never do. It's, it's, it's full of the most terrible things. Not as bad as this place called Twitter that I've heard of and don't visit, but interacting with kind of other Lutherans online on, on, on Facebook, and this is, always, this is always a kind of um, a, sensitive, a sensitive area because, you know, when you're interacting online, a lot of times people will say what, what's on their mind without any sort of filter. And one of the topics that continues to keep coming up is this, this concept of, of kinism. kinism. So think about like your kin, K-I-N, uh, the people that you're related to. And for whatever reason, there seems to be this obsession in, in and I don't know what other denominations struggle with this, but uh, in Lutheranism, I, I saw it with a couple of Aldana guys, and apparently it's also a thing in the LCMS, is this weird sort of belief um, that it's sinful, inherently evil, uh, for people of different races to intermarry. Um, now, I, I did a whole video about this on YouTube, about how, how dumb the idea is um, uh, to, to be upset about these sorts of things. Because you know we all are descended from we're all are descended from uh, Adam and Eve, and of course we're all descended from uh, the people on Noah's Ark. Um, so it's kind of a stupid idea to to say, okay, well you know you need to you need to <laughs> you need to really restrict your family tree. Yeah, there's nothing there's nothing inherently traditional about saying, well we want to keep it all in the family and have this sort of Habsburgian obsession uh, with keeping our bloodline pure. That's stupid. That's, that's actually counter-biblical. It goes against this, this concept that actually God made all the races, and they were all descended from the same groups of people. Um, so as if, you could, as if you could bypass that and kind, of, and kind of create a sort of purity that God himself didn't, didn't create. It's, it's silly. It's absurd. And it has nothing to do with any sort of traditional values. Um, and thankfully, there seems to be at least uh, some degree of, of acknowledgement that the LCMS has taken to this, that there are I guess there are pastors or there are prominent theologians in some of these groups, uh, LCMS and Eldana, who are pushing forward, the, pushing forward this idea of, of, um, of kinism. Uh, the danger, unfortunately, is that the pendulum can swing to the other side. Um, you can say, okay, well, I'm going to condemn kinism, but I'm also going to condemn um, kind of everybody that I can remotely vaguely associate with the idea. So the person, so for example, um, uh, a lot of times there's this false dichotomy that's brought up of these, uh, of nationalists, of, of racial nationalists versus sort of social justice 
whatever groups as if this is, you know, you have to be in one camp or the other. You either have to uh, be a fan of BLM and CRT and all these other acronyms that basically just teach uh, the same concept, the same sort of racial uh, superiority concept or racial persecution concept uh, that everybody's guilty because of their race, um, not because of what they what they do. The same sort of I mean, it's really just racism from the other from the other side of the aisle. Um, you don't have to be in that camp. In fact, that's a bad camp to be in. And you also don't have to be in the camp that says, you know, um, uh, white white national purity or anything like that is is something to strive for. It's this false dichotomy that's set up. And anytime anybody kind of plays into it, they're just strengthening both sides. You're you're pushing people to to be in one camp or the other. And, and either either camp is demonic. Either camp is satanic. Either camp is promoting anti-Christian beliefs. Of, of valuing or devaluing or, or calling somebody guilty or calling somebody, uh, you know, saying somebody cannot possibly sin just based on their race, that, that is satanic. That is contrary to the Word of God. That is contrary to the Christian belief, regardless of which, which side it's on. So again, you know, I would caution against against falling into one side or the other, either the side that believes, okay, well, you know, white nationalism, or the side that believes in in white white guilt. <laughs> they're both they're both racist. They're both sinful. They're both satanic, um, regardless of of which side you go in. Go in. So avoid both of those. Go back instead to scripture and take a biblical Christian approach to the issue, which rejects which rejects. Both of those extremes, which are often, you know, they're posited as being uh, two different, two different ends of the spectrum. I would say that they're the same thing, just you know, the same wolf with different sheep's clothing. But I would caution anybody who's 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 fighting against one not to fall in 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 camp of the other, because it's often too easy to do. I'm currently streaming this right now on Christcord. If you are interested in joining a Christian Discord server, um, you can go to discord.gg forward slash Christian, and you can join the server. It's not my server. I just happen to be a troll on it. Uh, and you are free to join and interact with other Christians and other denominations. I'm currently streaming this, and I'll be asking the chat, who is listening live, uh, if they have any questions or topics that they'd like for me to address in particular. All right, so uh, a- answering, some, answering some comments and questions in the chat, I'm going to scroll up, and I'm going to start... Uh, I'm, I'm going to start earlier on, and I'm going to get to the ones that you guys are posting right now, and I'll kind of I'll kind of skim through that. This is what happens when I don't have a producer to 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 ferret out the questions for me. Um, all right, uh, uh, Indig says, uh, as far as I know, kinism started with Presbyterians. Now it's crept into any denomination that claims tradition. So yeah, th- I, I can see again. I'm not familiar with Presbyterian tradition, but I can see how people associate this sort of uh, this sort of kinist aspect with traditionalism. So any sort of, of, of group that con- considers themselves traditionalists, um, I expect to struggle with this issue. Uh, I've met Roman Catholics who have, who, or, or people who claim to be both Roman Catholic uh, and posit the, 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 kinist, the kinist sort of traditions. They say, well, this is, you know, this is traditional. This is how things should be. This is how things ought to be. And, uh, you know, I'm so based in red-pilled in history uh, that this is the position that I take. So, Again, I, I've seen I, now that I think about it, I've seen it in some some Roman Catholics. Uh, I definitely expect to see it in. Um, I, I don't know if I'd if I'd see it in Eastern Orthodox. They're so um, strange about what they believe that it's hard to kind of nail them down to a singular position. But yeah, Presbyterian, anybody who's kind of got um, tied into tied into history as traditional uh, is definitely gonna gonna struggle with this issue. All right, let's see what else do we have. 
Uh, isn't Mo- Moses an anti-Kinism example because of his foreign wife? Uh, yeah, that's so. That's a good point. There are there are examples of the Bible of um, I want to say that there's good examples and there and there's bad examples. So there's examples like uh, Samson and, and Delilah, and there's examples like Solomon and all of his foreign wives. Now, in the, in the case of Solomon, it's it's a lot easier to kind of parse out and say that this is a bad thing. First of all, because polygamy is sinful, God uh, created marriage for the for the aspect of one man and one woman. I know that there's pol- polygamy in the Bible. Doesn't mean that it's a good thing. People are sinning when they do it, uh, and it. All the examples in the Bible, you know, Rachel and Leah, these these never actually end well. Um, any sort of polygamy or um, um, concubines or anything like that, it never ends well in the Bible. So just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean it's a good thing. But in the case of in the case of Solomon, for example, he was he was reaching out to all these different uh, women of these different um, these different nations, and the idea was if you marry somebody, if you marry the daughter of the pharaoh or whatever, you're gonna you're gonna have good relations with them because now you're family with them. So if you marry the daughters of all of the kings of all of the nations, then presumably you don't have to trust God to take care of Israel because you know you've used your own cleverness to 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 strengthen ties with all of them. In the, in the case of uh, in the case of uh, Moses and, and and his wife, yeah, there are yeah, there are examples of people marrying. Um, I believe Ruth and Ruth and Boaz is another great example. Uh, yeah. Oh, he just brought it up right now. Yeah, Ruth and Boaz is another great example of of marrying outside of outside of the family. I would say. I don't know. It's it, it's hard to parse out because because over time these nations sort of develop. So you've got like Canaan and stuff like that, and you've got Israel. So these nations develop, um, and as a result of these nations developing, you have these different sort of nationalities of people. Now again, they're all descended from the same group of people, so it's hard to say. Well, this is, you know, these are different races of people. The Bible never really gives classifications for races. The Bible gives classifications for for nations, but even then, the line is a little bit blurred because you can go from one nationality to another. You can be a sojourner in in Israel, and um, you can become kind of adopted into or grafted into, as the Bible says, you can become grafted into a. Uh, into a group of people, um, so so yeah. Even even the even the 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 dichotomy of uh, the Jews and the Gentiles, um, uh, and this is used a lot of times in the New Testament. Um, you know, there is no Jew or Greek or, or whatever. We're, you're all one in Christ. Um, th- this idea that there are that there are differences in terms of kind of lineage and in terms of nationality, uh, but especially as Christians, we want to say, look, a Christian is a Christian. Um, that that's your primary identity. If you want to trace your lineage or your nationality, you know, good for you. You can trace yourself back to whatever famous, you know, Napoleon or whoever. But your identity is primarily Christian. Um, so if you're a Christian, you need to be marrying a Christian. You don't want to be unequally yoked. But this concept of you're a Christian, but you're of a certain race, so therefore you can't marry another race. I mean, again, that's 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 anti-biblical. That's that's contrary to you know the, the Bible's description of of relationships. Um. The the monstery of Loch Ness asks: Are there any aspects of traditionalist uh, traditionalism that are good? Um, I would say yes, yes. If if we're referring to kind of the actual reality of, of, of traditional traditional thought, even if it's you know Western traditional thought, there are aspects of this. So we can say, uh, for example, we look back at the founding fathers and the you know the Constitution and the United States, things like that. The the way these things set up, they they point back to a morality that is at least derived from from Christian values, from biblical values. There is something to be said about 
positive tradition. Not every tradition is positive, but there are some traditions that are positive. Uh, and and we often stumble into error when we are so focused on being different and being contrary to tradition. Um, the past has a lot of wisdom in it. There's, there's a lot to be gained from understanding the traditions of the past. Uh, so in that aspect, yes, there are some aspects of, uh, you know, traditionalism that, that are good. Uh, you know, the, the comment of, well, we've always done it this way. Well, sometimes we've always done it this way be- for a good reason. Um, sometimes tradition, traditions are not that great and, and, and they need to be changed. But again, you know, if you're subjecting it all to the Word of God and you're saying, you know, as Christians, this is what the Bible teaches, then whether it's a tradition or it's a progress in a direction and a change in something, you can say, look, this is, you know, this is biblical. This is good because it's biblical, not because it's traditionally held or not because it's it's progressive, but because it's biblical. An example of this would be, for example, the um, uh, and this isn't this isn't kind of universal, but in the United States, kind of the the the, the progressive understanding of um, of uh, of segregation, uh, of racial segregation, um, and. There were people who, um, the abolitionists, the people who wanted to abolish slavery, the people who wanted to end segregation, were able to do so based on Christian values. They were saying, look, we were all made in the image of God, the Imago Dei, uh, regardless of the nationality or skin color, where you were born or who your parents were, you were made in the image of God. Therefore, we need to value all humans as equally made in the image of God. And this was a Christian principle. Now, you could say that it was traditionalist in that it reached back to kind of tradition, um, traditional Christian values, but you could also say that it was progressive in that it promoted, you know, these Christian values in contrary to the tradition of segregation and kind of racial, I don't know, racial essentialism, racial superiority uh, slash inferiority, that, that that sort of thing. All right, isn't now okay? So, so somebody asks, isn't it now unbelievers? Uh, unbelievers are classified as the different slash foreign nation in a sense. That's what he, he's heard from people in his church. This is uh, another question from the from the from the chat. Um, so yes, this is. Uh, I think I understand what you're saying. Um, so in in the Old Testament, you have the nation of Israel, uh, and you have the other nations around them. And there's interaction with all these people. Get to the New Testament, you've still kind of got they're not really Israelites anymore. You've got the people from Judea are often referred to as the Jews. Then you've got the Gentiles, which um, the Greek term for that is 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 ethne, which I would say means uh, the 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 ethnics, the the world, the outsiders, the others, um, and a lot of times Gentile refers it refers to the unbeliever. It, for, it refers to the heathens. So a lot of times in the New Testament, the, the concept of the Jew versus the Jew versus the Gentile would refer to the believer versus the unbeliever, regardless of kind of nationality. Um, then we have plenty of examples in the New Testament where you have Greeks and you have Gentiles. Uh, their faith is highlighted. The you know the faith of the centurion or the faith of the uh, was it the Canaanite woman or something like. That. So you've got the faith of these Gentiles is highlighted and said, look, these people are saved. These people are part of the family of God, regardless of their sort of national national origin, their 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 bloodline. Uh, and what you have in the New Testament, this whole concept of the New Jerusalem, is not based on the bloodline of the individual, but based on the blood of Christ. Uh, the unity is under the blood of Christ, not under a common ancestry, a common nationality, or a common language. So yes, absolutely. Um, the um, the New Testament sort of understanding, the post-New Testament sort of understanding of the world is divided not between the physical nation of Israel and all the rest of the people, the Gentiles, but divided between those who are part of the body of Christ, the Christians, the believers, 
and all the unbelievers. And the goal, of course, is not to necessarily to, to, to wage war and you know conquer, but the goal is to bring others, graft them into the body of Christ as well. So there is a there is a division um, between believers and, and non-believers uh, that 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 supersedes kind of the racial national division. Uh, but the goal is not to wage war. The goal is to be reconciled. Um, a quiet voice brings up Galatians 3.28. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male and female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. This is an excellent Bible verse to kind of go to to, to understand the unity that is created, the superior unity. So you are more united to your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ than you are united to a literal family member who is an unbeliever. You are more united in the blood of Christ than you are united in the the blood that runs through your veins and, you know, the DNA <laughs> similarities. Um, you often, you might hear the phrase, uh, blood is thicker than water. And people misunderstand this phrase because they only understand part of the phrase. They think blood is thicker than water means that your relation to, to you know, family members is more important than water, whatever that means. The, the full phrase is the blood of the blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb. So the phrase actually means that your unity in the covenant, in this case, the covenant of Christ, the New Testament of Christ, your unity in the covenant is thicker, is, is, is more substantial than the water of the womb, than those you are physically related to. All right. Uh, the Loch Ness Monster asks, how are we to treat friends and family who are unbelievers yet don't seem willing to listen to the gospel? Persistence. Persistence and speaking the truth in love. Um, Speaking the truth in love is, is one of these difficult things that it's easy to it's easy to focus too much on one thing or the other. It's easy to speak the truth and be mean about it. And it's and it's easy to try to love people, to try to get along with people by avoiding speaking the truth. But the Bible specifically commands the Christian to speak the truth in love. And there is a sort of persistence of of kind of speaking the gospel to them. A lot of times when people get converted, it's after years and years and years of resisting the gospel and God finally breaks their hardened hearts. Sometimes friends and family members never, never come to Christ. They never, they never actually uh, have that faith that grows in their life. And this is a tragic reality, but um, we are not called to kind of try to make that judgment of say, well, this person is a lost cause. I'm going to stop speaking the truth and love to them. But rather, we're told to continue to share the gospel, to, to share God's word with others. The, uh, the Bible talks about um, the Word of God not returning void, but accomplishing the purpose for which it was intended. Um, Romans ten seventeen also says that faith comes by hearing and hearing through the Word of God. So we have to believe that God is actively working through the spoken and written Word of God, through the, through the preached Word of God. Um, so when we're trying to, I mean, we can't force anybody to convert to, to Christianity as much as it would be nice to kind of have a wand and be able to force people to believe. Um, it seems like it would be nice, but then the onus would be on you uh, to go around and convert people. But the reality is that the conversion process is the act of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit promises to work through the Word. So you're given the Word to share with others, and the Holy Spirit promises to do the active work in that. So if a person is converted, then that's 100% on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who did that. If a person remains unconverted, on the other hand, that is 100% on that person for Acts 7.51, uh, resisting the Holy Spirit, which which they could do. So it it, it can be sad to, to have loved ones that won't convert, that won't believe, and won't have faith, but it, it can also be a relief to know that you're not the one who's responsible for forcing them to do that. 
Um, yes, Quiet Voice points out, love is patient. This is true. Love is patient. Love is kind. Uh, in, in so much as this verse talks about kind of uh, God's love, this is also an example, and a I think it's from 1 Corinthians. Um, this is a command of how we are supposed to love one another, through patience and kindness, not insisting on our own way, not rejoicing in evil, things like that. Uh, the Lockdown Sponsor once again says, when speaking with my Muslim friends about religion, do you think I should try to argue for the gospel as superior to Islam, or should I argue against Islam while showing Christianity as an alternative? Um, that's kind of difficult. Uh, a lot of it is kind of based on the based on the circumstances. So you think about um, Paul the Areopagus, Paul on a Mars Hill, uh, Act 17. Uh, Paul is in the context of these sort of Greek philosophers and these Greek these Greek pagans that are worshiping these other gods. And he, he demonstrates his understanding of these other pagan religions as a way, as a way to kind of get his foot in the door to talk about Christ. Now, ultimately the goal is to talk about Christ. You could argue with somebody about Islam, how wrong Islam is until you're blue in the face and then won't get them an inch closer to Christ. Your, your goal, your ultimate goal is to be sharing the gospel with them. Now, in the realm of apologetics, in the realm of evangelism, there are, I don't want to say tips and tricks, but there are methods that, that make this easier. So if you're, talking, if you're talking with a Muslim, for example, it helps for you to know a little bit about what they believe. You know, you don't have to be an absolute positive Muslim scholar. There are some people who do a lot of great work by knowing other religions front to back, uh, and, and this is their way of kind of communicating with them. Um, you primarily need to know the truth in order to kind of demonstrate what is counterfeit. You have to know what, what reality is to, to point out what, what, it, you know, what departs from reality. So in this case, it helps to kind of know, okay, well, I know the basics of Islam. I know kind of who Muhammad was. I know what he did. I know what he claimed. I know how he behaved. Uh, you know, I know what the Quran is. I know, um, you know, what the Hadiths are, things like that. It helps to know these things. Um, because this means that you're showing an interest in, in what they believe. You're not just kind of, you're treating them as an individual. So again, Paul and Mars Hill, uh, he understood what the philosophers and the pagans believed. And because he had that foot in the door, he understood them. He was able to better communicate with them. He was able to better hold their attention and talk with them more about, about the truth, about Christianity. Uh, in, in, in interacting with, with Muslims, um, I'm not an expert in this. I've done this. I've done this a bit, so I know I know a bit about Islam. But there are some some people who absolutely dedicate their lives to kind of interacting evangelism with with Muslims, um, and, and and from that kind of lack of expertise that I have, I would I would caution a person not to just try to destroy Islam. Um, you can you can kind of point out flaws in in the belief, um, but to follow that up with with the truth, you'll say well. Islam says to do this, this, and this, and I know that you haven't been able to accomplish all these things. You haven't lived as as Muhammad or as Allah claimed that you should live. Um, you should then, therefore, not have confidence that you are saved as a Muslim. Uh, whereas, in Christianity, you have confidence in the salvation of Christ because of Christ's work, not because of your work. You know, And then the conversation can, can continue from there. So that would kind of be my, my, my general um, advice in dealing with those sorts of things. Uh, Quiet Voice points out, we do not convert. We can only proclaim the gospel and pray that the Holy Spirit turned a hardened heart. This is absolutely true. Um, we can, just as a, another word of caution, we can, however, make it more difficult for people to hear. The Holy Spirit works through the word, but with our method of presentation, we can make it 
we can make it so the word of God is, is more or less palatable. So if you run up to somebody, you know, you're just screaming at them and you're yelling at them. And even though you throw in some Bible verses, but you're cussing them out otherwise, they may be less likely to, to listen to you. You may be, you may be making Christianity more of a stumbling block for them uh, in, in a bad way than something where they're willing to consider and say, look, this person actually cares about me. So again, speak the truth in love is, is, is a good, is a good foundation to come, come by. Not only do you want them, not only do you want to speak the truth to them in love, but you want them to, to, to understand that you do love them. The reason you're talking to them is because you love them, not because you, you hate them. All right. Scrolling down through the comments, let's see if we have any other questions or, or statements to address. Um, it's more minor, but it comes up in discussion. Is Allah the same as our God? So this is something that I intend to do. I intend to do a full aspect or a full uh, podcast episode on this. Is Allah the same as our God? And the difficulty with this question is, is something that comes up in different denominations. If you read Lumen Gentium, if you read Nostra Aetate, um, these documents from the Council of Vatican II uh, in the Roman Catholic Church, um, they would say that uh, Muslims, along with us, worship the one true merciful God. Uh, and, and they would point to specific aspects of, uh, of Islam uh, that they talk about Allah, and they say, well, look, these things are the same. You know, these, these same qualities also apply to the God of the Bible, the God a singular God created everything, omnipotent over everything, uh, all all powerful, uh, loving, merciful. These sorts of things. And we we'll say, look, these things are the, are are the same. Therefore, you know, and they also claim that uh, Islam claims that um, they are following the God of Abraham. Therefore, this is actually the same God, differently understood. I, I I completely disagree with this. It's as simple as this: Is Jesus God? Is Jesus God? If you say no, Jesus is not God, then you're not worshiping the same God. You're, you're just not. He who denies me denies my Father. Uh, I and the Father are one. There's so many Bible verses. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. There's so many Bible verses that require faith that Jesus is God in order to worship the Father. You cannot worship, quote-unquote, Heavenly Father, as the Mormons would put it, without worshiping Jesus as, you know, fully God. Not a God, but as the God, as the singular Yahweh. Um, so, yeah, uh, I would say no. Allah is not the same. Allah is fan fiction, a caricature based on the truth, but is not the truth itself. Um, all right. Uh, how do uh, Evelox asks, how do we approach a situation where somebody argues that the Bible we know today is not the genuine word of God because it was edited by human hands? It, books were either removed, added, or changed. This is, this is one of the arguments of, uh, of Islam. Uh, it also kind of come up, comes up in Mormonism that the gospel was lost and it had to be refound. Um, ask ask for a demonstration. Um, it's it's entirely not true. Um, the idea that all the manuscripts were changed uh, and you know and secretly you know the Christians actually believed in this other secret sort of knowledge and it's all been lost and then you know for hundreds of years you know people didn't have the Bible and all of a sudden we now have the Bible because uh, the angel either gave it to Muhammad or the angel gave it to Joseph Smith and the golden tablets or whatever. Let's see, let's see the changes in the manuscripts because the fact of the matter is that we have tens of thousands of manuscripts and manuscript fragments, maybe even hundreds of thousands. I don't remember the last count, but we can show the similarity. We can show how these things are 99.9% accurate. You know, uh, the, the same as one another manuscripts are, I mean, there are small uh, typographical errors or there are scribal errors, things like that. But if you're comparing a bunch of ancient manuscripts, if you compare, you know, Codex Sinaiticus, Codex Vaticanus, 
Texas Recepticus, you compare any of these uh, these ancient manuscripts to one another, you're going to find that they're teaching the same thing. Even when you have differences in manuscripts, even when you have, for example, uh, the long ending of Mark in some manuscripts, but you don't have the long ending of Mark in other manuscripts, the actual core theology isn't changed. There's there, there There's not enough difference in theology when you have, for example, the woman caught in adultery in John what, 10 or something like that isn't found in, in, in all the manuscripts. And you say, well, we're not entirely sure if this was part of the original, uh, the autograph of the Bible. Um, that, that sort of, those are the greatest examples of theological differences in the manuscripts. And even they don't demonstrate that it's a different Bible, that something different is being taught, especially to the degree that Mormonism or Islam will claim. So even when there are differences, they're not that significant. Um, let me see. Uh, as, for, as somebody points out, Indig points out, as for the term, Arab Christians use the term Allah for God, that's just the Arabic language. Uh, this is true. I've also seen some other people say that the word for God is, I forget what it is, there's, there's another word that's also used for God. Um, that being said, a lot of the time when people refer to Allah, what they're referring to as is an entity that is not um, that is not Yahweh. Um, all right, somebody asks. Uh, I sometimes discuss with Mormons about Christianity, uh, and it's uh, and it's difficult because he believes Christ uh, believes in Christ largely because of Joseph Smith. I fear if I disprove Joseph Smith, he may turn against Christianity and Abrahamic religions in general. This is actually this is something that that. that Excuse me. This is something that actually does, unfortunately, happen. Is a lot of times, people will get in their mind a concept of Christianity, and when that concept is shaken or threatened, um, rather than refining their understanding of the faith, uh, it, it, instead they they turn to kind of reject Christianity as a whole. And this is one of the reasons why it's so important to get Christianity right when you're representing it, uh, even in the even in the aspect of say you've kind of got pop Christianity, pop evangelical Christianity, where where let's let's take Let's take an example that I pick on all the time, Joel Osteen. So you've got somebody who claims to be Christian, somebody who claims to be teaching Christianity, but they are completely misrepresenting Christianity. Um, you know, God wants, uh, prosperity gospel preachers. I say, God wants you to be healthy, God wants you to be wealthy. Um, and if you're neither of those things, then you just don't have enough faith and you need to send in more money. Um, if somebody believes that the Christian promise is to have a, um, is to have a good and comfortable, easy life in the now, and then they realize that they were not having a good and comfortable life in the now. They, you know, they encounter tragedies and stuff like that. Um, then a lot of times they fall away entirely. The, they, they believe that Christianity is all about living a good and easy life. And when that doesn't happen, then Christianity mu itself must not be true. Never mind that they had a false concept of Christianity to begin with. It's actually more hard to evangelize somebody who has grown up with a false understanding of Christianity than somebody who's never heard of Christianity in the first place. This is why a lot of times missionary work is is more effective in countries um, that have a tr that do not have a tradition of any sort of Christian uh, large Christian presence um, than it is in, for example, the United States, which show. I would say the United States is, is, is a ripe mission field. But the problem is, in the United States, you have to overcome people's ideas of what Christianity is uh, as created by TV shows and movies that they watch. They say, well, you know, I heard from so-and-so that Christianity is all about hating people and, and you know, intolerance and all these other things. And you have to overcome that and say, look, no, that's not what Christianity is. And they say, well, ah, no, no true Scotsman fallacy, right? Um you're just trying to redefine Christianity. I know what Christianity is because I saw it in a movie. Okay, 
there's there's a lot more work to do. It's a lot more difficult. Uh, requires a lot more patience. So it's actually easier than if you encounter somebody and they say, "Well, what do you mean Christianity? I've never heard of this. Can you tell me about this more? Because this is a totally new and foreign concept to me." Uh, it's easier to teach somebody new than to correct somebody who has something who has a wrong conception to begin with. All right. With that, I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap it up now. I think. Uh, thank you all to Christ Cord for participating, sending in questions, and uh, and listening to the live stream. Thank you to the supporters from YouTube and Rumble, and thank you to those who are new listeners in this podcast format. Um, uh, thank you so much for your support. Keep in mind that Christ loves you. He died on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins. God bless you, and take care. <laughs>